This is the Spirit and Wellness Show. News and information from a higher perspective. With your host, Harry Wilkinson. Hello, and welcome once again to the Spirit and Wellness Show. Well, that's presumptuous on my part. This may be the very first time you're hearing this, so... But welcome, my name is Harry Wilkinson, and this is the show where we take a step back and we look at the days and weeks events, everything going on around us, whether it's halfway across the globe or right across the street, and we take a step back looking at it from a higher perspective, looking at it from the perspective of how we are creating everything going on around us, even, and especially, those things that appear to be outside of us, coming at us. Because uh, on a very real level, on a higher level, we are creating it all. We are just not aware of it especially when we are um, uh, immersed in our human game, if you will. But we are creating the game itself while we're playing it. And so when we come across uh, information, when we come across stories, when we come across situations, that trouble us, that uh, press our buttons, that uh, make us uncomfortable. Those are really important. Because those are the things that we are needing to experience in one way or another. Those are the things that have the lesson for us. And our first instinct is to run away, move it away, block it out. get as far from it as possible, or just get rid of it. And that goes for, you know, the, the kinds of uh, information and stories and situations uh, that come to us f through the various media uh, that we have, the ever-proliferating forms of communication devices and media that we have, from social media to... Uh, smartphones and tablets and 24-hour uh, news cycles and so forth. Uh, in fact, our first reaction might be to shut it all down, turn it all off. And indeed, it's really important to make sure you're taking you know, a break from media if you're feeling like you are sort of uh, overwhelmed or if you're feeling uh, addicted uh, to uh, certain types of media or what have you. Very important to be able to take a break and regroup. But, uh, as I say often on the show, if you are thinking that you're going to be able to just completely disconnect from uh, all of that, uh, for a long period of time, or 
as a normal course of behavior, you may be setting yourself up for uh, something that is not only uh, difficult or close to impossible to achieve, but also may be um, not as beneficial as you think. And here's why I say this. You know, unless you're willing to move to a mountaintop and live there, uh, you're going to have to be interacting in one way, one form, or another. Uh, I mean, you don't have to be bombarded by it 24-7. But it's going to be there. So trying to just disconnect from it all uh, forever is um, probably not going to happen and also may be missing uh, or uh, missing an opportunity because the opportunity comes, we get the lesson, we get the experience we need by going into those things, those very things that trouble us, that push our buttons, that make us uncomfortable. Feeling that, acknowledging that. And here's where meditation is the tool in which to do this. By going into those situations, those stories, those feelings, and letting them come up and acknowledging them, immediately gives you a different perspective. Then you can look at the thing and look at it from another perspective, which is what this creation, the magnitude of it, the detail of it, how magnificent it is, this amazing illusion that you've created, that you've invested with a, a, a a reality uh, has create has taken this form that is uh, so realistic, so uh, meaningful that you forgot that it's actually an illusion, that it's not the truth of who and what we really are. But it's a magnificent creation, and you can appreciate it on that level. And then once you do that, you can begin to take the energy that you expended in creating it, even though you didn't realize you were doing that. And you can bring it back. You can take it back. Take back the energy from it with appreciation for what it is. And just in the act of doing that, just the act of doing that itself, changes the situation. If it's a personal situation, you may begin to see changes happening. If it's a, a broader situation, one that's more of a community or a, a na national or even a global kind of situation, uh, it may take a little longer or you might not see the changes right away. But they'll happen. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal at all. 
that's not something to even think about. The goal is is going in and taking that energy. And that allows you to, in a very healthy, healthful, wellness kind of way, uh, feel more in control, uh, empowered, if you will. And by the way, uh, and I don't say this often enough on the show when I'm talking about this technique, uh, you also can and should use this technique when you are faced with situations, uh, stories, whatever, that um, you are happy about, that make you feel uh, inspired and joyful. And you can go into those feelings and appreciate what you've created there. It's an illusion, too. But you can enjoy that illusion. And in this case, you won't be taking the energy from it. Because you're enjoying what was created. And that's a good thing to do, because when you do that, when you focus on things you appreciate and enjoy, you create more of that. So, and these things and techniques are, you know, are uh, great tools to use in meditation, uh, and they've been around for a very long time in one form or another through different types of uh, spiritual and metaphysical trainings um, but they're backed by science now uh, quantum physics in particular shows us how when we focus on something we are creating something that uh, subatomic particles respond to our attention as well as our uh, thoughts and the breakthroughs in quantum physics are are, uh, are amazing and they've only been around a short time uh, such a short time that uh, I always find it fascinating to see how science has not had a moment to catch up to it in fact is quite reluctant to catch up to it because of what what it essentially means is no less than completely uh, rethinking what the scientific method is right because if observation affects what's being observed in a meaningful way, then the whole atomistic uh, belief behind the scientific method has to change. Right? Because that's based on the idea that you can observe something objectively and not affect it. 
and that has been proven to be untrue by quantum physics. But anyway, let me not get off track here. So, you may have noticed the title of today's uh, segment uh, is New Normal? Question mark. Uh, because is this a new normal? Are we uh, trying to go, we, well, we were trying to go back to normal, but it's not really happening if you look at what's going on across the country. But um, efforts are being uh, expended in that direction anyway. And so uh, I've decided that for the next, at least the next few weeks, probably probably longer, um, I will just do at least one segment, if not an entire show, on new normal and different aspects of that that are affecting us. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we get to that, I want to talk about uh, two beacons of light that uh, passed from our our human game this this uh, week. They are both civil rights uh, icons. One is uh, a little better known than the other, uh, at least. Um, from the point of view of uh, of uh, the entire population uh, and one is a little less known but just as influential and just as powerful so who am I talking about? I'm talking about John Lewis who I'm sure that you've heard this week uh, a lot on the news passed away uh, he was a U.S. congressman, but he came to prominence as a civil rights activist, and he was uh, a speaker at uh, that um, momentous uh, gathering uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, called the March on Washington, which happened in August, August 28, 1963. That's the uh, place where you may recall MLK, Martin Luther King, gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. But before that happened, John Lewis, a young man, uh, one of the freedom fighters, challenging bus and rail segregation laws, and the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and an organizer of student sit-ins in the Nashville area, this young man in his 20s, all of 23 years old, was a keynote speaker and gave this uh, uh, amazing speech, and you'll You'll see clips of it on the news, I'm sure, on the, at the March on Washington. Amazing stuff. 
23 years. I, I'm trying to think what I was doing at 23 years old, but it was nothing as meaningful or as powerful as what this man was doing. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> he was involved in the uh, uh, voting rights march from Selma to Montgomery and uh, was injured in uh, the attack that happened that day, March 7th, 1965, known as Bloody Sunday. Later that month, more demonstrators marched from Selma to Montgomery with uh, federal troops protecting them. And those demonstrators, that uh, crowd grew from 3,000 the first time So actually grew from 3,000 at the beginning of the march to 25,000 by the time they reached Montgomery. And so many things that he did. Uh, in the 70s, President Jimmy Carter uh, appointed him uh, Associate Director of Action, a federal volunteer agency. He was the director of the Voter Education Project. And in, in 1987, he became a member of the U.S. House of Representatives for Georgia's 5th District. And he served there until his death. And many, many more things that he has done in his life. Was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. He led a sit in on the House floor protesting in action on gun control. Those are recent events. That was, I think, 2016 or something. So many things that he did. A powerful light. And the other icon that uh, passed this week is a man known as C.T. Vivian. At 95 years old, he passed away. He worked alongside Martin Luther King and consulted with Presidents Johnson Carter, Reagan, Clinton, and Obama on civil rights matters. He also was given a Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama. He was very active in the 40s with sit-in protests. He was involved in this movement before uh, Martin Luther King got involved. And he met Mr. King, uh, Dr. King, excuse me. He met Dr. King during uh, the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott spurred by Rosa Parks. And he became an active member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, another uh, civil rights group. And 
believed strongly in Dr. King's uh, nonviolent protest approach. His full name is Cordy Tyndall Vivian. And he founded the C.T. Vivian Leadership Institute, uh, which is, uh, according to their uh, They are model. Uh, they are dedicated to creating a model leadership culture for the purpose of training and educating the new generation of grassroots leaders. So, as I always talk about on this show, when uh, people of a certain renown pass away and uh, the world is focused on them. This is something very powerful. Uh, because these people, in fact all people, on this higher level that I'm talking about, not, not consciously in the human game, but on the higher level, these are beings that chose to come in and chose when they would depart to bring us some very specific uh, experiences, understandings, information. So when you think that these two gentlemen, these two spirits, passed on the same week, at a point in time when race relations in this country and action is greater than it's ever been. I think we can take that as a positive sign that these beacons of light shine even brighter now and move this action forward and remind us remind us what it is to work for freedom alright so now on to our topic for today, our uh, segments on uh, new normal, question mark. Uh, so one of the things that's uh, been a big topic recently is schools, colleges, high schools, elementary schools, trying to figure out how to reopen and what they're going to be doing. Uh, obviously there's a big push from uh, the White House, they want just to open up all the schools, uh, and parents and teachers uh, both are wary of doing that. Uh, 
here in my corner of the world, uh, we are in what they call phase three. But uh, our school, uh, uh, our public school uh, system has decided <clears throat> wisely, I think, uh, to continue with just online education for the fall. Uh, it seems that after having put it to a vote to teachers and parents, the majority wanted that to happen that way. And there's been a lot of uh, talk and criticism about online education, about uh, uh, remote learning. And I believe that if there is going to be a new normal, this is going to be very much a part of it. It was meant to be that way anyway. And this has just spurred it on. Um, remote education, online learning can be an amazing, amazing tool if used well. Uh, it can bring education out of the classroom into the world, into homes, and in uh, the case, a lot of cases here, it also brings the parental element more directly into what's going on in the classroom, particularly with the younger kids, because they have to in many ways be there to help. And that's such an important component of education that often gets either overlooked or uh, is uh, very difficult to achieve. I mean, uh, administrators and teachers are aware of it, but more often than not, parents are, uh, and then for a variety of reasons, parents are <coughs> Uh, very busy with work schedules and whatnot. <clears throat> so maybe they help with homework at night or something like that. But the online experience requires, <coughs> pardon me, much more involvement uh, on the parental side. And in many ways, it uh, is sort of making parents learn alongside their children. I think that's a very overlooked uh, aspect of all of this, and in fact it's maybe not so overlooked, it's just not looked on uh, as important or something as a positive, uh, because many parents don't want to have to do that anymore. Um, but it is important, and it is a positive, uh, and I think that as they continue to use uh, these tools, they will find the strong benefits that it has. Well, I'm not saying that this is, should be the only way uh, that students learn. Uh, should there be in-person learning? Of course there should be. There's a lot to be learned from those sorts of interactions too. But I think, as I said, if there is a new normal, and certainly uh, the future uh, really uh, moves towards 
a blended approach, which many school systems have been using to begin with. Uh, mind you, these tools have been available for quite some time uh, and available to uh, school systems for quite some time. Uh, and they've known about them and they've trained a little on them, but they never use them because it's easier to just go ahead and do things the way they've always been done rather than to try new ways. And now, when they're forced to do it, they find themselves behind the eight ball a little bit, or at least they did when it started. I think uh, starting this fall you will see uh, much more uh, uh, capability, confidence in uh, this form of learning. Uh, and as I say, I think it's not going to go away once uh, the virus is under control and we begin to have more in-person learning. I think you're going to see the entire educational landscape change. Because now, and I know some of the complaint is that some students in some areas don't have internet access. And that makes it difficult for them to learn. That's a problem that's resolvable through uh, government and uh, effort. Uh, part of the education mandate, and it is part of the mandate of uh, the Department of Education, is to make internet access available to all children. And it has been that way uh, since uh, for for over ten years now, it's literally written into um, the uh, components of the Department of Education. It just depends on who's running it to move that forward. Uh, so, What needs to happen and what will happen is that, uh, you know, and in fact, right now, Congress is talking about uh, appropriating funds to give to schools. And uh, now there's a big uh, brouhaha, if you will, um, because apparently funds are being taken from uh, underserved and underprivileged public schools and given to private schools, uh, or at least it's perceived that way, so there's a lawsuit from, uh, uh, I can't remember the organization now, but uh, it's, it's uh, a civil rights organization uh, that will uh, uh, hopefully uh, stop that from happening. So there are things that need to be worked out. But basically, uh, the system uh, uh, of providing uh, internet access for all uh, is working and it will continue to work. And this will improve educational experiences for young people, particularly those in, in underserved populations, because now having education at home and having access online to things 
makes it easier for them to uh, engage with, ed with education uh, without having to worry about uh, you know a lot of the physical conditions which schools that are run down uh, like don't have enough funds to keep up Well, that becomes less of a problem. Another situation that's brought up is the fact that many schools offer free breakfast and lunch for uh, students who are uh, underprivileged. And by not having the schools open, they're not getting that well there's an easy resolution to that too which is which is happening which is you make those programs available uh, in the community just somewhere else or you have home meal uh, kind of meals on wheels sorts of things that all can happen very easily doesn't take a lot to make that change and in fact in my view schools should never have been uh, made to provide those services. That, that situation should not have been dumped on schools and educators. That situation should have been something that uh, is provided to the community from the government. not dumped in schools laps to deal with that's just my view on it uh, so now since a lot of uh, schools that thought they were going to open up are now having to change their, uh, their tune a bit uh, depending on the area they are in because um, they're seeing spikes of this virus and things are closing back down in some areas, so many are going to uh, online only in the fall. Uh, colleges like Spelman College and Morehouse and Clark Atlanta University, uh, UC Berkeley is going to be doing the same. Um, uh, they had spent a lot of time trying to build a hybrid model for the fall. They decided that uh, they just couldn't do it anymore because of what's going on in California. So all of this, I think, leads to a very positive result in, in education. Uh, it just is a matter of folks getting used to what that means, uh, what remote learning means, and what it can provide. All right, so then now the next issue now is the mask issue, which has become a... Um, for some reason, a political football now. Um, However, uh, science uh, scientists are saying that if uh, 90 to 95% of the entire country wears masks regularly, it can prevent another shutdown from happening. And I get it, you know, masks are uncomfortable. Uh, and for some... Um, they can even be, uh, they can lead to a sense of anxiety. Uh, 
because you know wearing the mask can make you feel like starved for air. You're breathing, but it doesn't feel that way. And it, and it can trigger, and it has for me, uh, uh, anxiety issues, for sure. Especially when you are involved in meditation that, uh, you know, includes uh, breath practice and breath awareness. But there's a way to deal with this. So I wanted to bring that to uh, your attention, if you have this problem if wearing a mask can be triggering uh, for you, not for political reasons, or you know, but because of the, the breathing thing. So, we can take a lesson from people who have uh, difficulty with lungs, lung diseases such as asthma or COPD, uh, and the way that they breathe during what's known as a dynamic hyperinflation. That's when uh, the air of an inhale doesn't have enough time to be fully expelled during the exhale because the airwaves uh, are easily collapsible. So this leads to more and more volume of inhaled breaths accumulating, uh, leading to a sensation of needing more, faster breaths and all while fresh inhale breath has less and less space to fill. So what people with, with these lung problems do is to interrupt this cycle by noticing the sensation, being aware of that feeling, and then by breathing with intention, using pursed lips to exhale through pursed lips like you're getting ready to kiss someone. And this allows the stagnant air to be released. It makes more room for fresh air. And it also activates what's known as the vagus nerve. Not vagus uh, as in V-E-G-A-S, but vagus or vagus, probably the better pronunciation, V-A-G-U-S nerve, which is connected to our rest, our digestion, and our nervous system. And it can calm feelings of anxiety and stress. So if you're wearing a mask and that starts to happen, use the purse breathing method. And you can also make a, a sort of a mindful uh, practice with your mask. Noticing its appearance, color, its designs, the feel of it. The sensations, all of it. The breath when, when, when you're breathing with the mask on. Is it warm? Is it cool? Whatever, whatever other sensations are, are, are going through your body coming up for you. See if you can lengthen the duration of your exhale. See if you can make it longer than the inhale. 
You can do this by breathing through the nose and exhaling through the mouth with that pursed lip uh, approach. And once you've changed the breath, notice what the sensations are. And it gives you not only a sense of uh, ability to calm yourself, but it gives you an empowerment, a sense of uh, control when you do it with intention. That's the key. That's the key to all of it. So, since masks are part of the new normal, question mark, uh, I think we've covered that uh, pretty, pretty well. Uh, particularly the problems that come up uh, with ang anxious feelings around wearing masks. Uh, so try that purslip uh, breathing approach. And think about uh, how we are changing and evolving even faster due to what's going on. It's a really amazing thing to be part of. See you next time.